You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 66. I'm, I'm kind of curious to know what that meant for your day-to-day. Did it become less stressful? Or? It was a thousand times <laughs> less stressful. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. You're going to get some really great nuggets, some really great insights on the local maximum today. I'm talking to Foursquare executive chairman and founder, Dennis Crowley again, and you're going to get some first some insights into the latest product research that's taking place within Foursquare. What are they thinking about? What's this new thing called hypertrending that they tried at South by Southwest conference this year in, in Austin? But also, if you listen to the end, you're going to get an inside look at what it was like for Dennis to transition away from CEO, some industry trends that he'd like to see reverse, and also, you know, what he learned from doing some odd jobs at his dad's company as a teenager, which I really like getting into that last subject, which usually isn't brought up, maybe because some people don't like to talk about their younger selves, that so they want to focus on where they are now. But to, to me, it's just really fascinating, and I hope it will be for you too. Now, before we begin... After last week's episode, I'm very happy to learn that you're all still as excited about these probability and philosophy topics as I am. And if you haven't listened to episode 65 yet, it was an inspired conversation that we had last week, if I said say so myself, about how you can estimate the probability of an event that has never occurred. It's also pretty entertaining. But uh, because we went slightly off script, I want to kind of correct or nah, correct is not really the right word. I want to clarify a few of the things that we said last week. First thing is I brought up Andrew Gelman's discussion of what is the probability that your vote will change the outcome of an election. And as it turns out, we weren't sure what election he was talking about. As it turns out, he is indeed talking about the U.S. presidential election. So it's the chance that your vote will be both Pivotal in your uh, state's um, election and pivotal within your state. And then also, again, that your state's electoral votes will determine the winner of the election overall. So I actually I want to do a full episode or two about the Electoral College at some point as we approach the next presidential election. I think I have a while, but I just wanted to report that the findings in the paper is that your chance of individually affecting the election results are about one out of 10 million. Now, we also got caught up in the question of, well, how do you know if you're the pivotal vote, like the pivotal vote? And essentially, the answer is that if a candidate wins by one vote in your state, then every single person in that state who voted for the winner is considered a pivotal vote, because each and every one of them could have changed the outcome of the election if they voted for the other person. So if you voted for the loser, you are not a pivotal vote. All you could have done is increase the winner's margin. And in the real world, where the winner is by multiple votes, and in most situations, no one is considered pivotal. So it's either lots and lots of people are pivotal, a slight majority, or no one. So That's one way of looking at it, but there's also another metric that asks, okay, if we take all the voters and order them randomly, what's the chance that you're the one person who put the winner over the top and you have that one person every single election? In that case, everyone kind of gets assigned a value that can be thought of as a measure of voting power, and that's called the Shapley value. But the Shapley value is a little bit different from what we're talking about here. The Shapley value is computed before the vote has taken place, so that's kind of a big difference. Another thing we mentioned last week 
is the idea of knowing whether you're a turkey or an email. Oh my God, I've got some really bad uh, sirens outside today. Anyway, the difference between a turkey and an email, I said that the turkey knows that Thanksgiving is coming eventually, and it just doesn't know how. So the turkey wants to know when it's going to be killed, you know, for, uh, for Thanksgiving. It knows that Thanksgiving is coming eventually, and it just doesn't know how long a year is. So yeah, if a week goes by and you're still alive, maybe your estimate of how long that year is gets a little bit longer. But it still knows it's done for. Whereas in the email example, the longer you wait, the longer you think, hey, maybe I'll never get a response to this email. Although interestingly enough, uh, there was one, I, it was uh, on the James Altucher show where he said he would kind of go back to emails that he got 10 years ago and respond to it as if he received it uh, last week, which I found kind of interesting. But usually you think if you don't get a response in a year, you're probably not getting a response. So I should point out that the original Turkey example is from Nassim Taleb. And in that example, and, and I'll post to this on the show notes page, the, the Turkey actually thinks it's an email. So it's not, and again, the event is a little bit different. The event is, is your death and the event is getting an email response back. So very different events. So the Turkey is not trying to estimate the length of a year. It doesn't even know that there's a year. It doesn't even know there's a Thanksgiving it, it thinks Thanksgiving is never coming. So I'll post these two examples on localmaxradio.com slash 66 today on, uh, on the show notes page. That'll actually go out Monday night for those of you on YouTube. Also, review episode 65 and additionally check out episode 48 uh, on social choice theory and voting systems that I did with Daniel Cronovet earlier this year. All right. Now coming back to Foursquare. So when I joined Foursquare in 2011, one of the most exciting things about the app to me was a page called the trending page where you can see where people in your city are actually checked into at any given moment. Now, checked in, that meant they actually had to go to Foursquare, go on the app and like tell us where they are. And one cool thing about it was if that you pulled together a public event, you know, other people could then find that public event and then it goes into the trending list and then people can see what's, what's going on. Maybe more people, you can get more people going if it's, if it's something you could do spur of the moment. Now, one of the features that I built when I was at Foursquare was called off-trending, where we calculated which places had more people than usual to find actual events and not just locate, you know, train stations and airports, which were full of people every day. And I actually wrote up a paper and a poster. And I showed that at the recommender systems conference in 2012. That was in Dublin, Ireland. And I went through a lot of the theoretical math, but I also would go out and test it all the time. So on the weekends, I would get up early, I check my phone, or I go on my laptop if you know, because the phone didn't have the latest thing I was trying to see what event that we calculated was the most interesting that day. And then I'd haul my butt over to that event and I check it out. And I found a bunch of cool street fairs and public shows that way uh, when the algorithm was actually working well. So that was a lot of fun. And one day in 2013, I woke up and I saw the perfect off-trending list in my feed. That was in June 9th, 2013. So I took a screenshot. There was you know, the governor's ball, uh, going on in Randall's Island. There was the barbecue festival in Madison Square Park or Puerto Rican Day Parade. So come to think of it, those first two events, the Governor's Ball and, and Barbecue Festival, are actually coming up in a few weeks again in New York. So this is pretty timely. So I'll post that screenshot that I took in 2013 
at localmaxradio.com slash 66. You can see what that's all about. Now, what happens to this feature? Well, Foursquare was totally redesigned in 2013. And as some of you insiders know, it was actually split into the Swarm app for checking in and the Foursquare City Guide app for finding places. And the trending page that I used, unfortunately, was scoped out of both apps. So it didn't have a home for a while. Uh, There are several features that I actually lobbied to add a bunch of times, either add or re-add. And the back-end work was already done, like the the service I code, like I, I wrote that. But it just needed some iOS and Android development, which even if I learned how to do it, I couldn't just add that to the app unilaterally. So, uh, but there have been a few developments on this feature nonetheless. First of all, there is the Swarming Now bot on Twitter, uh, which I built as a hack project that tweets out events from all over the world. I kind of see it as it's the good news of the day as opposed to the bad news of the day, which is, oh, I don't know, the rest of Twitter. But yeah, I think it'd be cool to have a city-based one too, which would kind of get back to the trending things. I know it's going on in New York City or or whatever Twitter. I know a lot of people have asked for that. So I built that in the summer of 2017 based on check-in data. And also, Foursquare's data morphed from check-ins into understanding passive visits, which you know we'll talk about in the interview. So that could be a more interesting data set. I did a project to bring trending into that large data set. Um, with a group of NYU grad students in the spring of 2018 as kind of the Foursquare engineers made that data available. And now Dennis and the team pushed out a new demo in Austin a few weeks ago at the South by Southwest conference. So let's find out uh, more about that from Dennis Crowley himself. Dennis Crowley, welcome back to the show. Welcome back to The Local Maximum. Thanks for having me back on the pod. So this is now show number 66. Holy cow, you've been busy. The last time you were on the show was number seven. Number seven. Yeah. That was the first time I was on, I was guest number seven. You were not, you were guest number three. Okay. But you were show Show number number, seven. Episode number seven. Okay. And you tweeted it out, which is very nice. I got a little bump, but now my numbers are way higher than even that bump. So that's great. I'm hoping that you'll get a, you'll you'll tweet it out again. I'll get, I'll get another bump. I'm happy to help. (laughs) So, um, yeah, the show has changed. I think the show has actually changed quite a bit since back then. I was still trying to figure things out. Uh, the show has evolved in ways. I almost want to hear from listeners like how the show has evolved because I feel like I'm covering some of the same topics I did back then, but it's definitely, there's definitely been a shift in, in what I've been doing. All right, so let's jump right into it. I wanted to have you stop by for a few minutes, or actually I'm stopping by here at the Foursquare office, but uh, I want – and also that's another thing. Last time we were talking, that was at the old – Foursquare Office. That was in Soho. This is the first time we've done, you and I have done a podcast here at our new Flatiron. Not, yeah. not new. I mean, we've been here a year. Right. Our new-ish Flatiron headquarters. Yeah. So I wanted to stop by to talk about uh, hypertrending, basically, in your South by Southwest project, because that looked very interesting. It was stuff that I had worked on a bunch uh, mm-hmm. when I was at Foursquare. So South by Southwest, that was Foursquare's birthplace 10 years ago. 2009, yep. 2009. How... It's hard to believe that's 10 years ago. Um, So you were at South by Southwest a couple months ago. You brought with you a new demo called Hyper Trending. Yep. And it was only available in Austin during those few days. Yes. So we can't um, 
We can't try it out. We just need to hear it from you directly. So before we go any further, what is hypertrending? Describe it for us. Yeah, so, you know, this year at South by Southwest was our 10-year anniversary, and we knew we wanted to go down for the 10-year anniversary, and I was going to give a talk. And um, I also wanted to to kind of build something that could showcase what Foursquare was, really what we're kind of up to these days. And, yeah. you know, so many people know us for the original apps, um, and I think people also know us for all of the work that we do powering, uh, you know, data and technology for, for other companies. Um, but, you know, a big chunk of the business is about understanding the way that phones move through the real world. And, you know, we have um, what we call like a panel, a panel of, of devices that, you know, when anonymized and aggregated, help us understand, do people go to bars or bakeries or airports or parks? And, um, you know, we, we've always had kind of internal tools of, uh, uh, of being able to visualize, well, where, where are the phones right now? Where, where were right. the phones last night? When I say the phones, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually referring to like the panel as a whole. And so we said, right. well, what if we made something? And it's not just people using Foursquare and Swarm, right? Because a lot of people. Yeah, it's, it's people that use our apps as right. well, at Foursquare and Swarm in Marsbot, as yeah. well as people um, that are using apps that have Foursquare technology baked into them. Right, right. Uh, and so the panel is, is rather large. Um, but we wanted to create some, and we knew a lot of those people that are in the panel would probably be in, in Austin. So let's create a tool that allows people to see where all the phones are at. Um, and, then, and then in addition to just showing them as a map, uh, which looks pretty, let's try to snap them to places, which is what Foursquare does very, very well. Uh, and then we'll rank the places based upon how many people are there. And so the thesis was, if you made this simple tool, you'd get a view of, okay, well, what are the most interesting places and parties and panels um, at any given moment, updated minute by minute, based upon how many phones are there right now? Uh, and we thought it was a cool idea. We launched it down there, and people thought it was super interesting. And I think what it helped us, and the reason we did it only in Austin, was you know we, we knew it was a little like controversial. Like, no one's ever made a view like this and shared it with people. And so we wanted to do a very controlled release and, and learn about what people thought about it. So how is hypertrending different in design from some of the apps that you've created in the past? The apps that we've built in the past, like let's call it like the Foursquare City Guide or Swarm, or even original Foursquare. It's right. just like know where all the stuff is, help people find the stuff. Um, and, you know, hypertrending, it really isn't that different. It's like, you know, if you know where all the stuff is, you help people find good stuff. And in this case, it was, you know, where is a critical mass of people? Uh, if anything, it's just a lot simpler. It wasn't multiple tabs and multiple use cases. And it's like we designed it for one city. We designed it for 10 days. And, you know, it had two tabs in it. It's like show me a list of places and show me a map of places. So, I mean, it's still still challenging to build from an engineering perspective. It's a lot of data. It's a lot of refreshing. It's, it's still a lot of a lot of parsing to do. Um, but from a UX perspective, it, it was nice to start from a blank slate and just design something very minimal. Yeah, and so as as part of that minimization, you kind of I don't know what the right word is like shunned or or cast out the sort of personalized view that mm-hmm. you usually give and just moved people straight to the god view of the data yeah it was it's um 
I wouldn't call it a God, God view because, again, it's, it was everything's anonymous and aggregated. So it's not like, where is Max? Where is Max? Like, we, sure. don't, we don't know who the phones are. We don't no, know it's not like the, that Batman scene. Or yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, and other companies have been. Maybe I should say the, the helicopter view or the airplane aerial bird, photo. Bird's view. eye view. Bird's yeah, eye view. Yeah, okay, so that, maybe that's, that's a better one. Right. right. Um, wait, what were you saying? What was the question? It was. I, it wasn't a question. I was just making a point. Oh, but what was the point? <laughs> I, I said it was. It's. It's. You stripped out the personalization. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. Just yeah, gave yeah. people. Well, we we had a conversation about this, like because yeah. you know, the product designers here were like, well, we should build something that you know helps people find the greatest places, right? So we have to build that feature in. And I was like, right. no, no, no. Let's just keep this thing super simple. Make the simplest thing possible. And, you know, let's see what people think of it. We didn't want to introduce complexity or, or, or crowd the discussion about what this thing was. I wanted it to be very simple and, and opaque to people. So what kind of feedback did you get from it? Did uh, people find it uh, as a useful way to get recommendations? Did they find it useful for something else? Uh, you asked, I know a lot of the materials around it were like Foursquare wants to know if you find it creepy. I don't know if that's a little clickbait. Yeah. Did anyone actually find it creepy? Like what? Yeah. It? I mean, like my, my, um, you know, the question that, that I wanted to get an answer to was like, okay, if you show people this bird's eye view of all the data that we have, do people find it cool or do they, or they find it creepy? Yeah. And you know, the answer was a, it's a good, it was a good mix of, of both. Um, you know, hypertraining is very it's it's very interesting. I don't think it's a good product. It's not a great city guide. You know, we we've had conversations since coming back to New York where it's like, okay, should we build a version of this that's just for New York that you know uh, that Foursquare employees can use to test out to see if this can turn into something bigger. And I, I think if you did a little bit more massaging of it, you spent a couple you know, iteration cycles on it, you could probably turn it into a product. But what we showed at South by Southwest is really just like a, it's just a demo. Like, look at all this data that we have, you know, imagine the things that other developers could do with it. Hey, you should work with Foursquare if you're a developer and and use use our tools and technology. You know, it's a little bit of like a, a sales pitch to people too. Yeah. Um, Did you get but, any interesting, like unexpected feedback or unexpected ideas from it? Some of the, you know, the... the I think we got exactly what we what we wanted to get out of it, which was an understanding of if people thought it was, you know, a little bit like a little bit creepy or a little bit too much. Wh- why? Why was that? And and some of the feedback that we got from people was like, well, can you tell me if if I'm one of the dots on the map? And um, okay, if I'm one of the dots on the map. Uh, how, how did I get on the, uh, you know, how did I get on that, that, that what, what, what app am I using that, that, that did that? Um, and so those were features that we didn't build into the product, right? Like we didn't, we didn't build the, the ability to opt out. We didn't build the ability to, um, you know, to say, okay, well, this is where the data comes from. And so that, that was one of the things that, you know, we came away from South by Southwest talking about, where it's like, okay, if we're going to do something about this in the future, there's another five or six different features that we have to build in to help people understand where the data comes from, how it's being used, if they're in the panel. If so, how do they, they get out? What are the apps to put them in here? And, and these, you know, this is an interesting discussion that we had um, you know, as internal product designers, we're saying, okay, if we do a V2, a V5 of this, like, wh- what are the things that we would build in? So this can only be done for Austin. So are you saying that there could be some ideas that come out of it that can be done nationally or globally? 
Yeah, I mean, technically, we could build a product like this that works, you know, anywhere in the world or everywhere in the world. But we've just decided that um, we decided not not to do that. You know, I, I feel I always feel um, that with Foursquare, with this company, like we have we we have a lot of tools and technology and data that are kind of like right at the edge of what's what's possible. Um, and right at the edge of what people think is possible, right? This this ability to understand where critical mass of phones are at any given time, like that, yeah. that's a real powerful tool. And, and, I, and I don't think people realize that the that the research is still ongoing. Like yeah, I saw yeah. an article. I saw an article, and now I'm not in here, so I don't really know how it's going. But I saw an article about how uh, we're getting better at understanding where people are in malls and things like that. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, I mean, we always think of it as like, you know, it's like that Spider-Man quote, like, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. So we, we make these very cool things, but we have to be very thoughtful about what what we do with them. I don't think um, people are used to that from tech companies these days. No, I think it's be, I think a lot of a lot of the tech story has been, you know, get as big as quickly as possible at any cost. Yeah. And, you know, I think there was there was a period of time where we were kind of on that ride, too. And I think once the ride started ending for us, which is, you know, 2012, 2013, and we started thinking about alternative uses for the technology and the products, I think it made us more thoughtful about, okay, if we're going to have limited resources to build these things that consumers are going to use, like, let's make sure that we do so very, very thoughtfully and, and carefully. Um, and... And, you know, I think that's one of the cooler things that's kind of built into the product and engineering culture of the company is, you know, our thoughtful uh, uh, approach to doing a lot of this stuff. It's kind of like full of a lot of, uh, you know, empathy and, you know, wanting to understand what consumers like and don't like and what they what they think is interesting and not interesting. So this is an interesting this actually segues, I think, pretty well into my next question here, which is, you know, the industry of location data. So let's put, put like big data in general in here too, uh, has evolved, I think, in some unexpected ways over the last 10 years since Foursquare was founded. Um, are there any trends that you wish you could reverse? Um, that, trends that we, that we started at Foursquare? Either, either trends that we started or trends that... I'm thinking more industry trends that have... have that the... That, other companies have gotten swept up in that maybe I know, I think we have not. And I still say we for Foursquare, but no, that's good. That's great. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and you should always say we for Foursquare because yeah. uh, you were here forever and you built a lot of amazing stuff. So thank you. Um, you know, I think that the the number one habit, the number one thing, and we we've, we've done this. We've done this in the past when we were very focused on consumer apps. Um, is you know. Engineering apps to be super sticky, yeah. right? And I remember doing this because everyone else was doing it before we put a stop to it and saying like, no, no, no. The goal is not to have people spend ten minutes in our app every session. Right. The goal is to get people in to get the and then to get them out very quickly and get them out with an idea of what they're going to do and then push them to that place. You know, like the metric for success for us as product designers was never like how many minutes can we occupy someone's day and it was more like how many places can we push people to how many new places did we send someone to you know in the, over the course of a week or something like that and i think you know the stuff that and i think people are starting to understand this now like products when they're optimized like scientifically optimized to keep people using them all day long like you know engineers have gotten very good at that 
endless feeds, notifications all the time, things that drag you back in. And I, I generally, you know, I'm kind of over that phase of apps. I, I, I totally agree. And I can't tell you, like, I'm, I'm thinking back to a particular interaction I had in 2011 with some friends where I'm like, oh, um, this is pretty cool because we're uh, hanging out or out to dinner. I don't know where, wh- what we were doing or whatever. And I got this notification and I dealt with it and we continued what we were doing and it didn't yeah. interrupt and, and isn't that great. And now it's just like, oh, that, um, that's been pushed way over that limit uh, yeah. that, that seems to work out um, 10 years ago. And yeah. so I, I feel like the, um, the way of thinking has um, th- there's something that worked ten years ago that's no longer working in terms of product design? Well, the the novelty of um, uh, I would say the novelty of the notification. Yeah, novelty of the notifications worn off, so people are much more aggressive with them and sneaky with this stuff. Yeah, and it's also you know there used to only be like five apps that you would use, and right. now there's you know, 500 apps that are launched every day, all competing for your attention. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes the ones I'm that trying are most to use less are trying might to, win. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to yeah. delete. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I thought, you know, if you asked me five years ago, I'm like, oh, so many app, more apps that are there to be built and they're going to be so useful. And then it's like, no, there's only so much you can take. Um, yeah. Well, I think but, one of the products, the projects that you and I worked on, Marsbot, yeah. is like such a like. I still think that is like the future of a lot of these apps. Remember when we started? It was like this is an app you install on your phone, and you're not supposed to use it. Yeah. Right. It's just the Foursquare engine running in the background, trying to understand what neighborhoods you go to, what places you go to, uh, and then it'll send you a text message, not once a day, not not predictably, just whenever we find something interesting. Like we yeah. think you did enough interesting things that taught us enough about what you might like. And so we just send you a text message that says, hey, go to this place. We think you like it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's a good example. And I think, you know, the original Foursquare was designed to work with, you know, being out and about. Whereas, you know, I have Facebook, I keep deleting it from my phone, and then somehow it ends up there. How did that get there? Oh, I must have you know, edited in my sleep or something. And it's like, why do I need to know so-and-so's opinion at 3 p.m.? I, I don't know. It drives me crazy. Yeah, uh, but, the same <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay. So um, tell me uh, a little bit about your current role at Foursquare and what do you look forward to these days when you, when you come into the office? Yeah, so I am, uh, this is, you know, year 10 of Foursquare and I was the CEO for seven years and then yeah. three years ago. I um, I turned myself into the executive chairman when I put Jeff Jeff Glick um, in the CEO role. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of curious to know what that meant for your day to day. Like, was it less? Did it become less stressful? Or? It was a thousand times <laughs> less stressful. I, I almost yeah. like like I think I cried like the day I cried tears of joy. Yeah, coming to work the first day after that, being like, I don't manage all these people anymore. Like I, all this responsibility does not fall on my shoulders. It just gave me like more room to to live and survive, right. you know. And I think I was really crumbling under the pressure of being, you know, Johnny startup CEO for seven years. I think um, a lot of people feel that way about their jobs who aren't CEOs. Yeah, it's just it's just it's just a lot. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was I was working a lot and tied to my phone a lot. And this is right around the time that we were about to have a kid, have our first kid. And um, you know, I just kind of knew that I, I didn't. I just I wanted to be in a different phase. Yeah. And um, 
you know, so the, there's the executive chair role was a way to continue to stay actively involved in the company. Um, now in more of like a an R&D product type of role, like let's just build weird, interesting stuff um, on top of the tools and data sets that we have. Like MarsBot is one example. Hypertrending is another. There's like three or four other half-baked projects here that, you know, I, I hope we'll see the light of day. Um, but, you know, we, we build these things just to see if the technology works, to, you know, to see if it works as well as we think it does, um, to, to show developers what you can do with it. Um, and you know it's 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 a it's a really interesting gig because we get to build we get to build stuff that I don't think other companies either can uh, or would or would build uh, so that that's fun um, and it's it's um, you know like I don't have a ton of direct reports I kind of flit around and help out with things that I can help out on. Cool. So do you have to ask now? Do you have anything in the works that you're particularly excited about that you can share, or is that does it have to wait for another uh, another episode? Um, we there, there's always like three labs projects that are uh, that are always happening, right? So yeah. we I think the next big thing, uh, next big project for us is going to be we're going to take another swing at Marsbot and okay. and kind of dust it off and get it up and running again. Um, and because I, I love that project, and even when we did it in 2016, a lot has changed since yeah. then. And and I just think we could, I think we could just build, uh, build a lot more on it. And I'm excited about that. Well, I would be very, very, very excited about that. Yeah, because I mean, you love it as much as I do, and it's just super fun. Yeah. Um, you know, hyper trending. We're going to take another swing at that. Just to try to build a version that works in New York, and then we'll, you know, we'll look at it as a product team and say, is this something that we want to launch to people? Uh, is this something that we want to, um, you know, what, what kind of edits and changes would we need to make? There's a lot of work to do there, but it's something I, I would like to get that in in people's hands at some point, just to just to see you know how people react to that type of data in New York. Uh, we've built some games uh, based off of the Pilgrim data and and you know understanding the way that people move in and out of places. Uh, and then we've built some some dashboards, right? Like one of the things we've been pretty hot on is this idea from a labs perspective, is um, what. Uh, you know, like we, we make a lot of dashboards for enterprise, enterprise customers, business customers. Like, what would it look like if we took enterpri- took those enterprise dashboards and we tried to make them usable by consumers, by end users, by regular people walking on the streets? Like, what does it look like? What queries would they run? What filters would they want? And, and we've done some work here. Maybe I'll show you so, after the podcast. Okay, like, yeah, because cool, I'm kind cool of – I'm kind of – because I don't think I'd be walking down the street and be like, okay uh, – Give me, oh God! I don't know. I'm going to think back of what we were doing with the enterprise data, but it's like um, I don't know. None of it would be something. Well, I, let's talk after the show, and maybe yeah. uh, maybe I'll, I'll be able to to think about it more. Matt, the Max and Dennis private podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that that'll be behind a paywall. That's yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that'll be it's a, one thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so. One last question before we wrap up, um, and this is very different. So, well, let's see. So, I, I I follow you on you know Twitter and Facebook, and I read a lot of articles about you all the time. And I realized when doing research for the show that there's a piece of the Dennis Crowley story, TM, that I haven't quite been able to put together. 
uh, here. So last time I asked you about your kind of earlier interests and drawing a line between what you uh, did when you were younger and ended up building today, and you spoke about your early days like writing articles and magazines at your school, and that was really cool. But um, I saw in a recent news article that you quoted your uh, dad about getting really good advice on you can't eat newspapers. Uh, yeah, Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. And I see you post pictures with him and stuff. And I don't, I don't know your parents, but now I kind of have this like active imagination where your parents are people who don't have much to do with software and internet and kind of provide a counterweight to like Silicon Valley thinking, which sometimes, I don't know a better way to put it, like tends to drown in its own bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so it, what's the real story there? Am I just projecting from the few scraps of intel I got or am I somewhat... What, right? my, my parents are not super well, internet savvy? I, I don't know. Are, well, are they or are they... I think, connect- they, I mean, they're like, like getting sometimes more, more you ha- social media savvy. Yeah, yeah, but sometimes you talk to these founders and you know, okay, like you like look at the founders of Google, like they're like, okay, they grew up with like professors oh, who were yeah. steeped in this stuff for yeah. for for life. No, Whereas my, my my mom was like a stay-at-home mom and my dad yeah. owned a company. Uh, yeah. and it was like an electrical contracting company. They did right. lots of um like telecommunications work for construction projects and stuff. Like we're from Boston, so right. like a lot of remember the big dig? The big dig is the process of putting all the stuff underground yeah. in Boston. That I when I was growing up I thought that's all Boston was. Oh yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> it's all construction. So he, he did a lot of work on the, on yeah. the big dig. Like radio systems and telecom systems. Now, he's not an right. engineer. He's like a, you know, a project guy and a sales guy. Yeah, but like uh, it's like the types of things you'd think regular people would do in not regular people, but like in the you know, before we went down this tech rabbit hole type thing. <laughs> I don't know how to put it well. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, he's an entrepreneur. Right. right? He started right. his own exactly. business. He ran his business for 30 years. Yeah. He sold it, you know, when I I guess I was in high school or something when he sold yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think, I think one of the things that – because when I was younger, when I was in high school and middle school and stuff, like I used to go to his office and he was the boss. And, uh, you know, I would be the guy that was making the photocopies or I'd run out and get lunch for people. They'd make yeah. me, you know, paint the bathroom and clean the fridge and do yard work around the office. But, like, you know, I, I – you know the whole thing, like you got to see it to be it, yeah. right? So I grew up in an environment where my dad was the boss of this company. I'm like, oh, I'll, I want to grow up and be the boss of some company someday. And so, you know, I, that was never my aspiration, but just like through high school and college and after college, I found myself in the position where it's like, oh, yeah, I'll just I'll I'll lead these people and build this thing and start this thing. And I think it, it was kind of normal to me because I had seen my dad do it growing up. Very cool. I always hope to run into him when I go to the Muffin House. Up in, <laughs> the uh, Muffin House, that's right. You so, know, my, all my buddies, um, my dad's nickname is Big Dig. Okay. Oh, after, oh, really? After the Big Dig in Boston. And so uh, if you want to meet Big Dig, if yeah. you come up to one of the Stockade soccer matches, right? Okay. I have the soccer team up in Kingston so, that I work up in, on. Up in this. My, my dad runs the gate, right? So okay. So he's, he's, if you buy a ticket and then you yeah. go to the gate to get your ticket punched, he's the guy that punches this the will be This will be the home, ga- uh, the home games? And all the home games that are in Kingston, my, you know, my dad is running the, uh, he runs the uh, These are all this summer? Uh, yes. Yeah, we have, our next one is, I think it's May 24th. It's Memorial Day weekend, the Friday and okay. Sunday we have. I don't know games. if I go with that one, but I'll definitely so, yeah, come up. It's yeah, great. I'll, I'll look up the schedule. It's at stockadefc.com. All right. That's my radio uh, voice, by the way. Yes, that's what, okay. And uh, that's, of course, what I was going to ask you is any last thoughts and any last uh, 
Any last URLs or <laughs> accounts or anything you want to spam the uh, show notes page with? Not spamming. It's called shamelessly self-promoting. Yeah. No, I, I'll tell you what. I really like the fact that uh, I think this is the third time I've been on the podcast. And I like the fact that we do this like semi-regularly because, you know, it, it, like, I always remember our last conversations and how much has changed since then. Yeah. And, you know, you have such a good technical understanding of like all that we do here and all that can be done here. Uh, and so these conversations are super fun. So thanks for having me back on the show. And I hope to be back on in the future. Dennis, thank you very much. Max, always a pleasure. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com if you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel the power. And she said, I don't care what you say. You're gonna see me shine.